The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. I'm hoping the Big Ten has to modify their system for us. <laughs> it's probably like getting great 10 sandpaper rubbed on your face every day. I mean, we say it all the time, whether, you know, there's two types of turds, you're a sinker or you're a floater, but you're still a turd, right? I mean, um, we're, we're, we are about players and players playing the plays and not necessarily the plays. Welcome to the Varsity Club podcast. Um, everyone is here today, except for Brandon Vogel, who's in Tennessee. It's sad we can't patch him in. But my name is Derek. Um, directly across from me is Jacob Padilla. As I say your name, say hi. Hi. Greg Smith. Hello. That wasn't hi. <laughs> and Aaron Sorensen. Why are you demanding we have to say things already? It's your birthday today. It is my birthday today. Yeah, yeah. so why are you demanding things of her on her birthday? <laughs> we are recording this on Aaron's birthday. It is. Yeah. It is my birthday. birthday. Thank birthday. you. There are people who believe that you are too old to celebrate your birthday, which to that I say, go Find something to be joyful about. Look at a puppy. There are also people be- who believe that... Um, Adrian Martinez poured water over himself to no, it pretend was a, he was sweating. No, it was a spray bottle. They <laughs> misted him with it. Wait, they misted him like I missed my like fig tree plant at home because to like recreate humidity. Right, yeah. right. We're standing there like... Pretend you're in a Did you miss this, in- Greg? I missed that. I saw your great tweet about him dripping sweat, but... <laughs> He did drink all of his Gatorade I tried to make it, I thought about including the Gatorade thing in there, and I was like, no, this is too much already. People will get that it's sarcasm. And then people didn't get that it was sarcasm. All right, for the people who are listening, though, take what you want from this. Noah Vedral walked off first with only half of his green Gatorade drink. Adrian walked off a little bit later with almost all of his blue Gatorade drink. With that said, like he had consumed it mostly. With that said, no, he just poured it on his. Just, well, that's actually where the like sweat came from. Okay. With that said, old, yeah, there's an important detail you left out: the color of the sweat. One bunch, of those old Gatorade commercials. Bunch. Where they sweat the color of the Gatorade that they're drinking. Bunch and McCaffrey were the last two quarterbacks to leave the field, and Bunch carried all the footballs with no Gatorade. <laughs> so what so we learned, what we learned from this, <laughs> right. is that Noah Vedro could not play for Tom Herman. Oh my god. <laughs> He's does a he bad teammate. Does he not? Live? He didn't didn't properly hydrate. <laughs> oh, drink half the game. I did not see it going that I, way I, from the start. Horns down. Okay, I will allow that one. <laughs> that one is fine. Joining the podcast later is Megan Ryan from the Minneapolis Star Tribune. She will be after all of uh, the shenanigans that are probably about to take place because we spent the first three minutes of this talking about colors of Gatorade and sweat. Um, Megan will be uh, previewing Minnesota for us. That'll come a little bit later. First, I have a question for um, all three of you who are here because it, it we, we are six games into Nebraska's season. That's the midway point. Mm-hmm. It is. I did not fail math. Wait, what? wait, do you expect them not to make a bowl game this year? Well, I mean, you didn't midway of 13 would be six and a half. Yeah. So we're almost there. Mm-hmm. We're about there. What has been um, the most surprising thing to the three of you about these first six weeks. Greg, you start. Okay. Um, the offense not... The offense looking this bad. Um, 
it is the big surprise to me because I, I don't want to say that not taking off and having that year two magical leap um, that some expected and looking like it did, you know, that final year at UCF. Um, so I, I think that it looking th- like this much of a struggle and them not having things that they can seemingly count on week in and week out um, has really been the struggle, like the big surprise for me. Yeah, and I, I my answer is kind of the same. I I think each of the individual areas they're struggling in, you could have seen coming. But I don't think that we expect them to struggle in all of them at the same time. We're talking about the offensive line here, whether it's the um, the guards, the the snaps from the center, um, whether it's the receivers not getting open, whether it's the consistency of the running game with the backs. Like I think we could have seen any of these areas being a problem. I don't think we expected all of them to be an issue every week, and. I don't think we expected that Frost at the midway point still wouldn't have found something that would work consistently. Yeah, I mean, the offense is definitely the thing that is surprising more than anything, and I think it's really easy and a, a really lazy argument that I've seen happen a little bit, not a lot as the season has gone on, but at first was just that the quarterback situation was particularly bad. I agree that the quarterback situation, the quarterback play needs to get better. I, I don't think anyone's like necessarily disagreeing with that. But there are so many things around it that are happening that are a little bit shocking to me. Um, just the offensive line. Not, I, I think we all kind of thought going into the season that the offensive line was going to have a, quite a number of questions to answer. But I guess I wasn't expecting them to struggle as much as they have kind of what, what Jacob was saying. And it's little things like when, and I keep going back to this because we talked about this last week, but I still, or we've talked about this, I should say, in the office over the last week, and I've kind of just been, can't get over it, is when Troy Walters made a comment about his wide receivers and when he watches the film, especially against Ohio State, they're trying to juke and jive on the line of scrimmage against Ohio State defensive backs. Like, you're going to psych out Ohio State defensive backs. Like, you're going to be able to do something. So, I don't know. The whole thing is just really odd where I feel like there's just these weird issues at each group, and each of those issues are not helping each other. Because when you have an offensive line who's not giving the quarterback enough time to really step back and process, in addition, the center is not snapping the ball to the right spot, and then the wide receivers are taking a little bit too long to get where they're supposed to go because they're driving and juking and doing whatever else in the line of scrimmage. Your running game is not getting where it's going to go. Maurice Washington, apparently their challenge is just for him to play four quarters. I mean, it's just like these little things that all add up. And I think that's what surprises me is to Jacob's point, we knew there would be issues. I just didn't realize all of these issues were going to kind of come to a head and really so significantly affect one another. Have you guys noticed, does it seem like, I mean, maybe I'm just, like, reading too much into it, but does it seem like Frost has sort of turned inward and has gotten incredibly conservative with play calling? Um, Well, he has said that they need to simplify. Yeah, he always says that, which, that bugs me just in general because he says that, Walter says that in in particular relation to, like, being able to get more wide receivers on the field, which probably, if we really narrowed it down, would be my second, like, big surprise. Um, But no, the, the play calling thing, I think they're just trying to find what they can consistently run. And I just don't think that they've been able to find that at all. Um, and it's a little, and I think it's probably baffling to him in this offense because he's always had the ability, Frost, um, to have kind of a, a group of pet plays that they could come back to and always lean on. And I feel like we even saw that last year, and we're not seeing it this year. Yeah, that that's kind of what I want, wanted to get at is he, they don't really have that, which is to all of your guys' points, 
it points to absolutely nothing working on offense. Like, nothing is working in unison together. Like, I'm trying to remember, there was, it, it was Tim Miles last year talking about the basketball team. Like, we would have one guy playing well and the other guys, or, or something like that. But it's. I believe that was us talking about the basketball <laughs> team, not necessarily Tim right, himself. Whatever. Well, but. It, it, it there's like there's n- nothing is going right at the same time, and when they get one thing working, nothing else is working, mm-hmm. and so it just seems like Frost is kind of like throwing his hands in the air a little bit, like how am I supposed to fix this? Like how am I supposed to make this better? Because he's made comments where he's like, we can't scheme wide receivers open, like we can't we can't scheme some of this stuff. A lot of this is just execution. I told I told you guys that we we had. Derek was giving us grief because he said save this for the podcast. But to be fair, Jacob hasn't heard any of this. Yeah, so we can, we can drop I, I think the thing is, is I don't view it as like, and it's so it's so clear. To, I have to be clear. I don't view it as Frost throwing his hands up and calling the season a loss. Like that is a totally different. Like that is not what I'm saying. But in Brandon and I have talked a little bit about this, and obviously he's not here to kind of provide his perspective on it. But it does feel like you know, the whole no fear of failure thing, it does feel like there's a point, though, where it's not so much anymore not, like, being afraid to, like, play. It's just, it's like they're not pushing all their chips in. It's it's like he's kind of recognized that there's there's some issues that have to be addressed. They're probably not going to get fixed until the offseason. So, like, a guy like Ramir Johnson, do you burn his red shirt in a year where you could maybe, where, yeah, he could maybe help, but it might be a better situation to let him to let him keep growing, let him keep getting better, bring him in next year when you're kind of ready to push all your chips in. Because it's the same thing to me as Cam Jurgens. If you were like, we're going to do whatever we have to do to win, maybe you pull Cam out and put somebody else in, but they're not willing to do that, partially because that's who they want to ride and die with. But you leave him in, he keeps getting more experience, he keeps hopefully getting better, he hopefully keeps learning. So it seems like a lot of the decisions Frost is making at this point is not like saying, I'm done with this season, I'm looking forward to the next, but he's he's being really strategic with sort of how he's approaching the rest of this season to ensure success going down. And I said this before the podcast, it's like he's playing the long game now. He's looking at it from a longer-term perspective versus what is happening necessarily this year. And that's not saying he's giving up on the season. That's just saying he's looking beyond just this one. See, I I agree with that in a certain respect, but also I don't necessarily see it in some other spots. That's such a nice way of saying I agree, but I also don't. Well, it's like we're seeing that in some areas. But Good thought. Yeah. But, but you are wrong. You're completely <laughs> off base here. But no, we're seeing that in some respects. We're seeing it in others where he's sticking with upperclassmen and seniors especially that aren't producing uh, as opposed to getting some younger guys in because I'm not even talking about freshmen like maybe Darian Chase is in that mix but guys like Javon McQuitty guys are gonna, that potentially could be here more than uh, one year This we got what six games left in the regular season with Conovai Noah and Mike Williams and those are your two most used receivers outside of Spielman and Robinson and neither one of them are producing like uh, for whatever, like I know Noah's a good blocker, but um, I mean the, the the targets to receptions ratio is not looking pretty right now. And I I responded, I ended up giving a really long winded response in the mailbag this week about this. But I think a big part of the issue with wide receivers is they just recruited too many guys that are too similar. Basically, that their entire receiver rotation are slot receivers, all of them. 
like the guys that are supposed to be your burners down the field, Mike Williams, one, has never really showed that in football action. And he's like 5'9". I, mean, I tried to say this in the offseason. Everybody was like, no, said, no, you're wrong. You'll you know, be fine. Hey, funny. I said the exact same thing. That we, we were both on that train. So I will I will admit here that I was on the other side. You were, of yeah. Um, in, fight, in part fight, because... Fight. Well, no, in part because they that I knew that that's what they believed, they being the staff, believed that they didn't need to diversify the types of wide receivers that they were bringing in, that their offense would be the thing that made all of that come together and work. And what I wonder now is, and not having like actually specifically asked anyone this, is is are they finally starting to realize or are they seeing that that's not the case? Yeah. Like I, I feel that there's been some subtle shifts behind the scenes in trying to figure out that they need to make some tweaks to their recruiting strategy and not like overall um, big strategy changes, but just small things. We, we're going to need some bigger body wide receivers. We're going to need some different type of interior offensive linemen and, and just add to the mix that we're already trying to bring in. Perfect example in this offseason Travis Fisher talked about how after going through that first year in the Big Ten he was like yeah we might have to get some bigger safeties. Yes. And then yeah. everybody that they brought in was a big safety. Well and like we're going back to what we were talking about preseason yeah. like um, with J.D. Spielman I was so I was hesitant to like go all in on Wandale Robinson early on because I'm like, where are the snaps going to pl- come from? Where is he going to play? Because like J.D. Spielman has been a slot receiver. That is how he has had his success throughout his career. And so to get Wandale on the field, they're asking him to play out, out wide. And he's playing out there and it's just, he hasn't been quite as productive as I think basically everybody expected him to be. And you've got heck. You, you look at film, like look at the, just look at the game when they got the guys out there. Like kind of I know compared to everybody else, it looks like he's six three, mm-hmm. compared to all their other one, receivers. Like, yeah. He's listed at six foot, but he's so much taller than everybody else they got out there. And he's also a slot receiver. And Cade Warner, people keep talking about waiting for him to get back. Well, I mean, get him back. Yeah, but we need to actually get him back to physically see. get back on the field, Cade. <laughs> and he's bigger than all those other guys. Is what six one two ten. But he's also a slot receiver. And oh, yeah. so they they have nothing but slot receivers and speed guys that can't seem to get open down the field. But it also, you know what I also, I've been thinking a lot about this this week, and I also think that this is um, also them recruiting guys that weren't necessarily pure receivers as well. So a lot of these kind of hybrid guys that are not used to having to necessarily get open, they're just used to being the fast guy out there on the field, and so they're running, streaking down the field. Um, And I think that that'll also have to be another shift as well to to start to get more like actual pure wide receivers who also happen to be over six foot like they're going to just have to do it and relent on that point that the offense will be able to create everything and that they're going to especially in this conference need to figure that out but with all that being said you're still going to have to figure out if you're Troy Walters on how to actually get these guys on the field like to your point about McQuitty or even down the line on other guys like Houston and Nance and I'm always still kind of surprised that we don't talk about Jamie Nance more considering he early enrolled than has been here Um, he should be able to have some sort of role right Um, they've got to be able to figure out how to get more out of the receiver group, even if you're bringing in the magical six three six four wide receiver. I mean, they clearly want those tall guys, though, and we know that they need them, because I, I always I always say, and I mostly say it to you guys, but I've said it elsewhere when some people ask me for, like, what do you think? And I, I'm like, you got to be able to read between the lines and what they're saying, but Walters a couple of weeks ago made a 
comment about how they're not they don't have the guys they don't have the guys where you can't just run them straight down the field and expect like they're not going to like run straight down the field and be able to grab a ball from Adrian super high because they just don't have the height so he makes that comment then Verdusco has made comments in the past where it's like it's too bad that Adrian doesn't have somebody he can like throw the ball up high to and we've kind of like said well what about your tight ends who I was just about to like, say yeah, I was thinking that was what like I thought of too giants right now why can't you lean a little bit more on the tight ends um and you see little moments where Austin Allen has had these really strong moments this season but Jackson hasn't. too has yeah, both of them, well. they, both of them. highlight plays they just don't get many targets yeah so then you start to say like okay if you can't get those guys on the field because either they're not fitting into the type of offense that you're trying to run at the moment or your quarterbacks aren't trusting the receivers or the receivers aren't trusting the quarterbacks whatever is happening there can you not target the tight ends more? Like, there has to be an answer. And I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sit here and suggest that, like, we've got them and the staff yeah. isn't thinking about them. But mm-hmm. it's like, where is the disconnect? Yeah. Why is it not changing or why can't you fix it? Yeah, and I, I'm not smart enough to look at the way Nebraska is being defended and figure out how, like, what deep opposing defenses are trying to take away and all that stuff. But the beauty of Frost's offense when it's working is, there's no way you should be able to take away everything. And right now, they can't figure out what area that's they, that can work against whatever defense they're playing. There's no one consistent area. Whether sometimes they're running the ball well, but they can't always do that. And like you said, maybe if, they, if the tight ends aren't there, then one of the receivers should be open, right? Mm-hmm. Or if... Uh, if they're they're really focused on taking away the wide receivers, stopping the run, shouldn't those tight ends be there? So it seems like defenses shouldn't be able to take away everything Nebraska has unless guys just aren't as good as we thought, aren't playing as well as they need to. It's just there are just so many little issues with this offense that seem to be kind of adding up to a major problem. I want to pose a question real fast. Um, how much of this? has to do with the 2018 recruiting class because a lot of the guys just isolating this to the offense a lot of the guys that they're playing right now are their guys like defense is still a lot of holdovers from the past staff but a lot of these guys on offense are, are the guys that frost and company have recruited and that 2018 class is like close to beginning to rival the 2017 class like it doesn't look great up and down the board like how much of this is just that first class was kind of a miss because they took I mean they took Dominic Watt in that first class they took Mike Williams in that first class they took Jerron Woodyard in that first class Miles Jones none of those guys have made an impact Dominic Watt was supposed to be the big receiver and he didn't never even made it here Justin McGriff and then also if you keep going down the line Greg Bell in that yeah. same class, um, yeah, that has that has a, a big part to do with it. I do think that there is something to be said that that I guess quote unquote transition class um, really didn't hit for as much as they probably needed it to, and if we're starting in and, and definitely in key spots uh, or certain spots that wide receiver group in particular. I think I, I think they were really hurt with the Andre Hunt thing. Like I, I keep saying that. I, I think that they were expecting him to be a significant piece of their wide receiver room moving forward. Just the way that they talked about him in the spring, the way that they talked about him in the offseason, I, I think they were expecting him. And, and when when I went and watched that Boneyard Bash thing that was like the week before the season or whatever that was, like he was running with the ones. I wonder, 
I, I would agree with you that I do think that he was going to be a big part of what they do. But at the same time, I, I have a little hesitation there just because of what we've seen from wide receiver in general. Like, I don't think it's a stretch to say that even if he were still around, that he'd just be in the lumped into the group yeah. of mystery that we have going. And maybe that's, I don't know, I, is that unfair? I don't know. But I yeah. just feel like giving the benefit of the doubt to the wide receiver situation in any way, um, I don't think is the right move right now. I would agree that and I I mean some of the other guys got some praise too it seemed like Hunt was the one whose name came up the most but also like we just really haven't seen anything from him so is he standing out compared to everybody else who apparently has proven to not be competent or was he actually a difference making type of player and as a retro freshman I don't know what you can expect from but I don't even know if he needed to be a difference-making type of player or if it just needed to be able to be out there, right? Like, it, well, <laughs> they got plenty of guys that are out there right now. Are they? I mean, they're out there for two. Like, would, how many snaps did Woodyard play last game? Six. How many did McQuitty play? None. So, like, I mean, they're not even. They're not really getting out there. It's really just those. The, well, Mike those Williams top is out there. Guys. He's certainly out there. <laughs> he's not getting the ball thrown to him much, but he's out there, and that's the problem. They've got too many empty snaps of wide receiver play where you've got guys out there that either just don't end up getting targeted or don't complete the catch when they are. And that's right now is the issue is whether it's just, they just can't, Adrian Martinez and his receivers just cannot find a connection right now, whether it's on the route running, whether it's on um, the anticipation, whether it's on the accuracy, the passing, all of it just is not working together right now. And that's why Nebraska's passing offense is struggling so much. Troy made the comment um, this week that Troy Walters did that, that 13 points is not going to get it done this weekend against Minnesota. No. Um, it, it won't. But we are at 13 points this past week against Northwestern, seven points the week before against Ohio State. Aaron, I'll start with you. <laughs> did, did the performance against Northwestern, isolating it to the offensive side of the football, did it change – how you view this team going into the back half of the season. You're asking me because you think that, like, Northwestern because I know the ruined us. I'm asking you because I know the no, answer, I mean, but I just want to so have this conversation on pot. Here's the thing. Like, I, I know in the mailbag, I, I, was, I said in the office, like, I'm, I'm – I, when I look at the back half of the season, I see two wins, maybe three, and that's not to say that that will happen. That would make it six and six or seven and five. I get it. I just, I just have not seen anything over the last, honestly, over most of this season outside of the defense that shows me that they're going to win the games they need to win. Okay, so you beat Indiana, congrats. You beat Purdue, cool. You beat Maryland, all right. So you're you're at seven and five there, but what has Nebraska? And this is what I legitimately want to know. Because I know how I know how you guys feel. What has Nebraska shown at this point to say they are going to beat Minnesota this weekend? They're going to beat Wisconsin. They're going to beat Iowa. And I'm not saying that it's not possible because that is like I want to like separate those things. It's not saying that it's not possible. Anything is possible. Prediction Tracker, which tracks 59 individual power rankings, Nebraska is only one has Nebraska winning this week. That means 58 do not. So at that point, you're starting to say, like, when is it our personal, like, feelings about this team? Because we think they can do it. 
overrides basically everything that is saying that they can't and won't. I shouldn't say can't. Can't is the wrong word. Mm. Won't is the correct word. So that is where you have you have to be able to explain that. And that's not me being negative. It's just I don't think I have seen something where I can confidently go into this weekend and say it's a win or confidently go into any game at this point and say it's a win. They are on an uphill battle at this point. Every game, they're probably going to be the underdog in most of these games going forward with the exception of a couple. And even, would, even then, it's probably still going to be a bit of a battle. Uh, my thing is, is that it, it's not even... See, I don't want to like dismiss your question, but I think that we can't, it's not just about what we've seen from Nebraska. It also has to be what you've seen from these other teams. Like One of the things that drives me nuts is that we've somehow made Minnesota and Ohio State. They've played absolutely nobody, and they've barely beaten those teams, number one. Number two, like Nebraska playing against like Purdue, who's the walking wounded, and Indiana, who's not very good. Maryland is not very good. Like I think that the likelihood of winning them winning those games, even as they're Nebraska's not playing great football is still fairly high. And I think that we do this thing where because we're so, like we know so much about Nebraska football that we think we only look at their flaws and assume that these other teams don't have some of those same issues. Minnesota beat Illinois 40-17. to How did Nebraska play against Illinois? But Minnesota also beat South Dakota State by three points, seven points. They had to come back against Fresno State. Like, the first four, like, I don't know how so real. So what you're saying is Nebraska and Minnesota are actually probably a little bit more comparable, but then what I think Nebraska automatic that Minnesota win? I think Nebraska and Minnesota are on, on the same field. I think that it's a, it's a, it, I think this is a coin flip game, honestly. I really do. I don't think, I don't know how real Minnesota's 5-0 and record is. I don't think they're Well, yeah, they're great. a 5-0 team who could easily be 1-4. They have a, a really, really good quarterback that I really like, but Nebraska has a really, really good defense that I really like, and you know, weather is going to play a factor. I just think, like, all of the things that that were there when we looked at the team in the offseason and said, yeah, this is an 8-4 and four team pushing 9-3, and three, pushing Big Ten West title, all of those things are still here. Like, Adrian Martinez is still here. There is more on his resume that would suggest this is a slump or a blip than there is to suggest that this is who he is as a quarterback. I'm not Maurice suggesting this is who he no, no, is No, no, I know, I know. But I'm just saying, like, when you, when you bring up the predictive... Like, I think those swing pretty rapidly in season because all of those were suggesting that Nebraska was the dark horse. Everybody who was anybody was suggesting that Nebraska was the dark horse. And the justification for that and the reasoning for all that, it's all still here. It just hasn't looked great, but that doesn't mean it can't get turned around. Like, the thing that I keep thinking about is, like, okay, they looked good against Northern Illinois. Like, there, there have been flashes. They looked good to open against Colorado. There have been flashes where it's like, this is what we expected to see. So you know it's in there. It's just a matter of can we get it brought out. And I don't think that necessarily says that Nebraska's a bad football team that's only going to win one or two more games. It just, I think the margin for error with them right now is so small that it, it like, each game, like they said, is its own mini season in a sense where... We have no idea what we're going to get each week, which means it, it makes it more difficult to pick Nebraska. But I also think it makes it more difficult to pick against Nebraska because any given week I could see this team going and putting up a 50-burger. Yeah, and I think we're getting to the point now, though, where six games in, we're halfway through the season, it's getting less and less likely that that breakthrough does happen. It seemed, like You could have expected some of these issues early in the season, but it doesn't seem like they're fixing them. 
and six games in, if you can fix, if you haven't fixed started to fix them yet, is it going to be any different the back six games? So that's kind of so in the mailbag I I stuck with eight and four as a finishing, but whereas I was kind of pushing nine and three at the start of the season, I'm, I'm more sliding towards seven and five um, as kind of the other likely outcome there. Welcome to the dark side. I'm, hey. <laughs> I'm picking. I'm not picking him to go six and six like you. But uh, <laughs> he's I'm like, he's like, I'm, wait a second. I'm saying six there. and six is just as possible on this record right now as nine and three. And honestly, losing to Maryland, who forgot how to score points. You have oh, losing so, to Maryland. Yeah. Well, I'm no. I'm I'm saying that's potential possible. loss. Um, but no. But they that. could lose this weekend to North or to Minnesota. Excuse me, not Northwestern. But lose to <laughs> Minnesota, and then it won't matter. So you beat Purdue. You beat um, yeah. Maryland, but you're still gonna end up. Put, you got it. You're like. It's so easy, like I said. It's so it's as simple as them being nine and three, and like honestly, if anyone's listening to this, we're actually kind of all saying the exact same thing. We're just in different places on how it's going to swing. Anyway, sorry, Jacob, you so, were looking at something. Well, yeah. So backtracking just a bit to that 2018 recruiting class discussion because this is the beauty of podcasting when Derek doesn't give us the questions beforehand. We just have to come up. Top he of doesn't our give head. us agenda. But at, at, while we were talking, I went back and looked at it and broke it down. So they had twenty. Why the shape? <laughs> they because that's necessary shape. Because that's what we do. That's what we do. That, that, that is a relationship you and I rolling. have. We that's have a good discussion going, and you're just like throwing me under the bus because apparently this is not up to your standards. Anyway, um, so Nebraska had 25 kids commit oh for that 2018 class. 17 are still here. Two of them never even qualified, didn't make it here. That's Willie Canty and Dominic Watt. Five have left already, uh, including C.J. Smith and Cam Jones, who were um, four-star defensive backs. Um, you got Greg Bell, obviously, leaving. Will Jackson didn't even make it to the season before he left. Oh, that guy. Um, and, and then um, <laughs> Justin McGriff is the other one. Uh, so those, so you've got seven guys playing big roles, and that includes Mike Williams, who is still playing a decent number of snaps. That's it. Just seven guys that are making a difference. And you've got two players that are suspended, and you've got two players that are hurt. So that there's, what, two, three of those guys out of the four guys that are on the shelf right now that would be playing big roles as well. So that's what we're working with. That's the class. That was Frost's first class. Those are his guys. And that's how many of them are actually playing right now. And that includes Cam Jurgens, who they brought in as a tight end and had to completely change position and is now starting and trying to learn how to play that position on the fly. I think we're going to have to talk about that class and how it actually didn't pan out the way it looked like it was going to at some point. I think we're going to have to have that discussion. (laughs) But I think um, at the same time, like Greg said, that was a transition class and those are hard. Because you you have, I mean, they were up against the eight ball with the number of visits that they had left and and Mm -hmm. the the time that they had to evaluate people. So jumping ahead to the 2019 class, so interesting question. What does this look like if Desmond Bland actually decides he wanted to do what he needed to do to play college football? Would he be the center right now? Would they have nearly as many offensive issues if that were the case? Would Jurgens have the time to learn the position with an older guy taking the snaps early on? That's a great question because I also think that there's also a chance though that you still have Jurgens playing center, but Bland is just playing guard. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, because the guard play, I think Hickson has been better than Wilson, which, <laughs> of surprise, speaking of surprises, that could also be a surprise because um, you kind of were counting on Bo Wilson to be very good coming into this season. Um, so he, in all likelihood, he Bland is playing center, though, and maybe you don't have those issues. So, yes, that would have had a, a domino effect going down the line as well. But the 2019 class, just to wrap up that portion of it, like the 2019 class I think is already looking better as a whole than the 2018 class, which is not good considering we don't have we, – we should have more result from the 18 group. I just want to point out really quick, like I know this is sort of – it kind of has something to do with the talent, so a little bit too with recruiting, but I want to go back to something because I want to make it clear for anyone listening if they're still listening or if we've scared them off with our <laughs> inner office fighting and disagree. I'm just kidding. No, that's what makes for great podcasts. This people true. love hearing people fight. No, fight, people fight. heard Jacob throw unnecessary shit. <laughs> oh, man. Thought like, man, that was just really rude. Good I'm life. done with this. But – Slandering you. I want. Yeah, I, I want to be clear that like I when I when I question this team going forward and say it's as easy for them to go six and six as any other thing. It's not because I'm saying that this team is bad, and that's the challenge. There have been Nebraska teams in the past where it's like they're just not good. Yeah. They are really not good. They don't have talent. They're not what they need to be. The frustrating part about where this team is right now is there is talent. There are just issues with that talent for whatever reason. It's either not producing in the way that it's supposed to. Uh, people are learning uh, new positions. I mean, really, you have to think about the fact that Cam Jurgens is still a converted tight end. To play center is not an easy position. That's going to take time. And I just think it's not so much me saying Nebraska's terrible. They're going to lose all of their games. I think that this team has much of an, like, to your point, every single week there's an opportunity for them to win. But the the chips are stacked against them in most of these cases. So the question is, can they get out of their own way and not beat themselves? Nebraska is in a situation right now where it is going to beat itself, not the teams that they're going against. But, With the exception of, like, Wisconsin like, and Iowa. They're going to go this weekend against Minnesota, and we have no idea what the weather is going to throw at them. But I really don't think... I don't think Minnesota is this, like, incredibly, like, strong Big Ten West team. But Nebraska has every possibility of beating itself. Because when you've talked about Colorado, who beat Nebraska in that game? Nebraska beat itself. Yes, I understand. Colorado literally did. But Nebraska no, had a 17 Nebraska lead. talked itself out of the game. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's what you were told, right? Mm-hmm. So, but they, that was the narrative. Well, I'm saying they were a 17-point favorite. Who wasn't able to come out, and there's some whatever issues going on in the third quarter. Who the heck knows? But like every single situation where it's like. Steven Montez is just a better quarterback. Oh, God. Just just call a spade a spade. Steven Montez is just really good. Like that's why Colorado's doing really well right now. Yes. It's just there's so many things. Like Illinois, they started beating themselves. Penalties are an issue. Um, Not doing what the coaches say they're supposed to do. They're either juking and jiving on the line of scrimmage or the ball's not getting snapped where it's supposed to go. There's so many things that they're doing to beat themselves. So yes, to your point that their margin of error is small, you have to go into every single game going, are they going to get penalties? Yeah. Can they fix that? Is the snap Are the snaps going to be good? Are the wide receivers going to get open? Is the quarterback going to trust the wide receivers? Is the run game going to get off the ground? To Jacob's point, they haven't been able to answer these questions or make them happen yet. So why over the last six games would it switch? It could, but hold it might on. Not. But wait, wait, sorry, Derek. I gotta say this. 
But why? My question for, and I want to label you a naysayer, but it sounds like you're a naysayer right now. Like, of uh, at least my proposition that they're going to be over 500 in the back half of the season. My whole thing that I keep coming back to as well is, why are we not giving them credit for finding a way to win these games while having every single issue that you just outlined, and those Sorry. are real? Like, we also have to say, hey, over the last, I don't know, pick your favorite number <laughs> amount of years, they would not have won these games that you're laying out. That Illinois game is a loss, right? The game last week against Northwestern is a loss. Like there has to, we have to also account for the fact that they're finding ways to win those games, even though it's much uglier than we want it to be or everyone wants it to be. Like so, to Derek's point, there could be a moment where not even the switch comes on and they're suddenly a fifty-point offense. But if the switch comes on halfway and they're a twenty-eight-point offense, then things look a heck of a lot better than what they have in the past too. But I want to be clear about something. And I'm not, I do not want to get into this, but you mentioned the Northwestern game. There is a subset of people who rightfully, under, like there's an understanding to some people that there is a call that did not happen that may have swung that game for Nebraska. And here's the thing. There are calls made all the time in college football that can define or not define a game, but how much of that was in Nebraska's control? They took advantage of what they were given. And that's the case. They and were able to make Something they a never case. do. They, have, they can just can I, don't do that. Can I can I say one thing to no. to that point? Yes. Only North, if I get to say something afterwards. <laughs> no, you don't. Go ahead, Derek. <laughs> Northwestern didn't have to give up a thirty-two yard completion to Wano Robinson. Like the refs didn't oh, yeah. make them do that. No. The refs the ref the referees did not force Northwestern to allow that kick through the line of scrimmage and go through the uprights. Like like they still had opportunities. They after had that. plenty no, of opportunities throughout the game to win that football game, and they didn't. Yeah, Nebraska did as well. Because speaking of that, that that pass to Wandale, they he didn't feel like they did what they needed to after it. Yeah. So, but <laughs> continuing, yes, like they're finding ways to win against bad teams. They squeaked by Northwestern. And they which, have more bad teams yeah, on the schedule. They do. How do you feel about Minnesota? I. <laughs> it's a good point, but they actually trap question. Yeah. <laughs> See, Minnesota didn't lose to Colorado. I, I don't even know what Colorado has done since. Three um, and two. Yeah, so that's the thing. Like, so they found a way to lose a game like that, and they found a way to win games against Illinois and Northwestern. So I, just, I think there are going to be more teams like Colorado on, the, on their schedule the rest of the way than there are Illinois. Okay, and, a team that they found a way to get up on before they ran out of gas in the second half. Like, I just think, so, like, it's a weird thing. Like, it, I don't know. Like, it's just an odd, like, we can't, like, it's like we can't take any of the, for a team that, what, has won how many games in the last couple of years? Like, we can't acknowledge that and say, yes, there's some of this progress without also saying, oh, yeah, but by the way, those teams stink. Like, you have to, yeah. t- to me, you have to take these wins as good things when those wins have not been there. But you agree the way that they've won the games this season so far is not good enough to beat Wisconsin and Iowa. Wisconsin. Would you agree with that? Wisconsin. I don't think mm-hmm. Iowa's any good. Like, But I always think that. I'm openly biased about no that. I hope no Iowa like, person so like, listens. If you are somebody who's about to I hope all of the tag, Iowa people are listening. <laughs> like Nate Stanley up. sucks. <laughs> if, if you're an Iowa fan ready to tag in, like if, some, if you're no Iowa fan and you're about to tag them in on this, please leave me out so, of it. I don't. Iowa's not I don't Ohio State, but, they're also, but they're Iowa's also, a lot better than Illinois. Yeah, they are, but they're also not as good as Wisconsin either. They're a lot better than Northwestern. A lot is relative. A lot of teams are a lot better than Northwestern. Exactly. So you've got those two right now. If Nebraska play, continues the same way and wins the way they have, 
they're not. That's two losses right there. Okay, I'm going I'm to. Not concede, I'm not conceding that. So that right there is capping you at that eight and four. And something goes wrong. That something screwy happens. They fumble the ball three times. Then a loss that's, right there gets you that's at seven the biggest five. thing for me is can they get out of their own way yeah. because they have too many turnovers they have too many penalties. How many turnovers did they have last week? I mean, congrats, you had one. Okay. Do yeah, it again. Yeah, but they don't. But they don't. <laughs> but we don't. But that is my point again. Like we we talk about these things as like when the thing goes right, we're not saying hey that went right. Like but I'm not. I'm not. Diedrich not saying hasn't that. fumbled in two weeks. Yes. I'm not like, so saying we, that, but I, I can't walk so, away. No, I'm sorry. I have to say this. I cannot walk away from Northwestern and go, congrats, you got it right. You're, you fixed everything. Not every, no, no, definitely not everything. I'm so, not saying that. No. I, I'm not in any way discrediting them that, good, you got the win. And I, I say this, and I mean this, so to the person who's ready to yell at me on Twitter. Please don't yell at um, I, Covering a win is way more fun than covering a loss. I, I would rather cover wins. Like, I would rather cover a winning season where they have a chance to go to Indianapolis and fans are like so excited and not screaming in the Hale Varsity Twitter mentions about all the things that upset them. Trust me, that is what I want, and I'd assume most people do. I walked away from Saturday like, oh, yay, people are going to be nice on the internet for a hot second, and it lasted like nope. 10 seconds, which was a little bit longer than previous weeks. But... The, the thing is, is me saying this, I feel like some of the criticisms that I have are the same criticisms that if you could give Frost some truth serum, he's going to tell you they're the same things he sees too. Yeah, and that's, that's the thing is, like, you have to, like, I think they need to get to a point where they're consistently showing the same things over and over and over. And part of me is like, okay, Northwestern, how much of, like, turnovers and penalties in that game Okay, so when you have a game that's near perfect from a turnover um, penalty perspective, when you get there, how much of it is happenstance and how much of it is you controlling that game? I need to see more than one, like, And they still scored 13 points while doing that. Northwestern's a good defense, but at the same time, like, that wasn't... So, yeah, they cut out the turnovers. That didn't fix everything. Right. That's because they have they have a lot of issues. I'm not discounting <laughs> that they have a lot of issues. I'm not, yeah. I'm just saying that that doesn't like completely take them out of a game against Iowa. So so the center can't snap the ball on target. Wide receivers can't get open. The quarterback doesn't trust the wide receivers when they are open. The offensive line can't protect. The offensive well line enough. cannot get holes open for the running backs to run. They've been them. they've been okay run blocking. The, 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 I think the offensive line's been. That's actually Cam Jordan's strength. It depends on the situation. They've been able to do because the backs okay, they're okay, all but, averaging over four and a half carry. My yeah, my point okay. being is, what is the bar you're having to clear here? Because if we're talking about Nebraska being a team that has Big Ten champion potential, no. To your point, Aaron, there are too many issues. No, they're not good enough to uh, to be that kind of a team yet. To beat Minnesota, hell yeah, they are. All it need, all we need, like. Going back to the, the point about one game swings everything. It swings perception so much. One game, if they beat Minnesota 40-17, to 17, what's everybody saying about Nebraska after this week? 58 of the 59 polls or whatever the, the number that you cited has Minnesota winning. If they beat Minnesota 40-17, to 17, what's everybody saying about Nebraska? Suddenly things are starting to feel good again. Yeah. Because Minnesota was 4-0 with an average margin of 5 points. They beat South Dakota State by 7. They had to come back against Fresno State. They beat Georgia State by 3. They almost blew it against Purdue when Purdue didn't have their quarterback or their best player on the field. All it took was one 40-17 game against Illinois, and suddenly Minnesota is a powerhouse, and they're 
the runaway favorite to beat Nebraska. And now Minnesota's like the team to challenge Wisconsin in, in the, the West. Like all it takes is one game. Does Nebraska have what it takes to have one really, really good performance? Yes. They do, but the question is, will they do it? And I, that's the, I, so this is why I said it a little bit ago. I think at the end of all of this, we are all actually saying almost identical things. We're getting to the same conclusion a little bit different. Every single week, there's an opportunity for a win, and there's an opportunity for a loss, obviously. But, like, the opportunity for that win is completely reliant on them doing a lot of things they haven't been doing to get it there. And what Jacob and I are sort of saying is, like, can they do that? Are, is, it, is that breakthrough possible at this point? Are they there? You guys are saying yes because that they've shown that potential in moments. And there's nothing wrong with how you're concluding around what you've seen. There's nothing, like, necessarily wrong or right. I just, I just don't, I just don't have the faith at this point to say they walk into Minnesota and put, you know, put their foot down and say we're going to handle this game. That I have not been shown a reason to believe that. So there's nothing wrong with you guys saying, but they have shown they can do it. So maybe this is the week where they do it. It's just I have not been convinced, and a lot of, a lot of obviously Vegas hasn't been convinced. Um, there's, there's nothing wrong with viewing it like that. I would rather be proven. I would rather be proven wrong. I would rather them show me that I'm wrong. And if they if they end up coming out and winning 40 to 17 over um, over Minnesota and they do it all, that's great. I just they don't have a, they don't have a kicker, which concerns me with the weather. We don't know what to expect from the quarterback situation. Um, you hope it's okay. You don't know what you get until you see it. Um, there's just too many questions for me to walk into it and go. All right, I think this is it. I. Maybe they'll prove me wrong. I just don't feel exactly like a roaring confidence in it. I just, what if, okay, but let's say, can we take Eric's 40 to 17, is that what you said? Let's take that off the table. What if they go win 20 to 14? Will that give you more confidence, or will you still not go with the, like, I will then say they found a way to win despite all of those things that you just laid out, which are all very it, real and scary. It completely but depends like, on Minnesota. And what they do, and how what happens, like, how did they get there? Like, did Minnesota, like, did they fumble the ball away four times? And did they, that's what, it's hard to know. Yeah, and it goes back, it's, a lot of it is a game, go go read uh, Brandon's post-game column from Northwestern. That goes down as a win, but Brandon did not see that as progress. He did not see it as a move forward for Nebraska. He saw it as a step back, despite the final result. So, yeah, if Nebraska finds a way to get a win, that won't guarantee that Nebraska or has figured things out. Potentially, it might mean that Minnesota was the team that beat that barely beat Georgia State or whatever, and it was just Nebraska's day. They just had a slightly better day or whatever. So the win itself, um, I, it's just going to be how the game goes, I think, where you can learn more so than the final result. I think people are overthinking things on this whole, like, it it needs to be how it looks and all of that garbage. I think we need to start giving people more credit for wins. And I'll say this for the first time I've ever said this publicly. I disagree with Brandon on that, and we talked about it. Um, Ooh, so when he, when he hears it, like, Craig Smith fine. calls like, I Brandon like, Bogo garbage. Not, I did not call him garbage. Breaking um, news. That is not how that happened. Um, but, like, I just think that we need to give more credits for wins and 
stop with this whole it looks a certain way. And I think that part of that is is tied to what the expectation was coming into the season and what you thought see, this offense in particular would look like coming in. We got to stop with I'm, that. I'm beyond that. I don't. I'm not trying to get this to look like what like Oregon or 2017 UCF. I want it to look like a competent football program. I want it to it's look not like that wins right now. That's what, what I'm talking win. about. Yeah, but and you're still talking like it's still wins. Like they have yeah. eight wins in the last two years combined. Yes. Like so they need to win games. Like we need to stop with the it needs to look like competent football. Wins I don't think we and need then to build stop on that, that level. Though. Because that's like, not you're not trying to be a six and sixteen like that takes slightly step forward. You want to build towards something and to do that you actually have to be good. You have to be better. No, you have to because win. the schedule <laughs> is gonna get tougher the next two years. A, a winning a winning team this year isn't going to be right, enough to be a winning team next couple years. Here's my only thing that I have years. to say about wins. Wins are important. Learning to win is important. Wins always are better than losses. But would you say the 2016 Nebraska wins really showed a the team that they were? Because they were a top 10 team at one point. Well, uh, that wins, Mike Riley seven and yeah. year. No, they were seven and zero, and wins are wins. But they walked into they walked into the second or the latter half of that season, and like things fell apart. So you have to be careful not to quantify wins as proof of concept that things are going exceptionally well. That's the only thing I. That's the only thing I can point to at this moment. But I, I think I think they're different situations though, because because Nebraska was used to winning at that. point. Like that team, I think was used to like they, six and seven the year before Mike Riley's first year, six and seven, right? Yeah, with or, the bowl game win. Yeah, but but they were they were winning nine and ten games the years before. Like those those teams knew how to win. The players that were on those teams knew how to win. The six and seven was a blip as opposed to just what it is. But then, like the last two years here, it was four and eight, four and eight. Like these players didn't know how to win football games, and they talked about that a ton. So like I I think like. That is an excellent point because we're also saying the same thing about Minnesota's wins, not really, like, or, or, or calling them into question. Mm-hmm. But I say I'm saying that too. They could yeah, easily yeah, be a one in four. Right, 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 right. Yeah. But I think context is key here because it's like, what's the situation? Like, Nebraska was a football team that did not know how to win football games, and and it had players that in clutch situations did not know how to make the correct or the winning play. And we're starting to see over the last couple of weeks those guys are now making those plays. And so, like, I think I think that is proof of concept. I think that is proof of progress. I think that is something to feel good about. As opposed to, like, yeah, but, you know, Adrian only threw for 140 yards and, and a handful of times should have scrambled when he didn't and missed a couple of receivers downfield. Like, like, in this situation, again, isolate. It just... Like there are pieces to feel good about that you should focus more on the wins than you should, you know, a handful of plays in the third quarter where Adrian missed a quarterback or a wide receiver. Is that um, fair? Yeah, but I mean, you still have to be able to look at those things within the win. I don't think I you can do. look at a win and say, "Well, the win means that things are on the upward trajectory." Right. Yeah, but I'm that not gets back. That either. I'm not that saying that wipes my, everything away. That gets back to my point about what's the bar you're trying to clear here. They're not trying to be a championship team. If you're talking about contending for a college football playoff, like. Style points matter, and how you do things matter. But mm-hmm. when you're just talking about getting your program back to where it expects to win seven, eight, nine football games every single season, it expects to go to bowl games. Players expect to win close games, to, to be able to make plays in close games, to win football games. Like just making those plays, like that's that's good. Here's the thing that I think really like, and what's really interesting is we asked a poll question um, thanks to Honda of Lincoln on our Twitter account. <laughs> 
You're welcome. Ads. Um, ads. Anyway. Um, Hashtag ads. What is also inside jokes. What is Nebraska's record over its final six games? Right now, um, which you have, like, a, if by the time people are listening to this, you still have time to vote, so you can go to our website or go to Twitter and cast your vote. It does not matter where you do that. Um, but you should do both. 41% is saying the record over its final six games. I'm guessing Greg is going to go vote right now. Um, 41% said four or two or better. 50% are saying three and three, and 9% are in the two and four category. So I'm definitely in the minority on my thinking, so I get it. So I'm sorry to all the people who are going to yell at me tomorrow. Um, yes, please people, wait until tomorrow. Then. I don't think people are going to yell at you. Like, you've couched a lot of your, your, your statements. I don't necessarily think you need to do that, because, like, as we are arguing with you, like, you're, you, you are rational and Yeah, I think these are rational points. things. I yeah, think it's just like... But fans aren't rational. Sorry, y'all aren't. <laughs> yeah, but but I also think All that of I, the listeners of this podcast yeah, are, are logical, rational, fantastic human beings that don't <laughs> yell at people on Twitter. <laughs> Keep it that way. But I think that there are a good deal of fans that are as pessimistic or more than But, okay, uh, that's actually the point I wanted to make really quick. There is a lot of that. So (laughs) let's say Nebraska ends up 9-3 and this season, but those nine wins happen in games like what happened against Northwestern. They're all these, like, really just, like, kind of, like, you don't see a ton of improvement, but it's a win, and so you're kind of caught between. I think this is kind of going to what we're all saying. You have a win, so as a fan, you're like, Yes, good. Wins are good. Nine and three looks good. That's when Nebraska was in a period in like of time where people were like, "Yay, that's almost not good enough." So you're feeling all right, but you start to look at how the win came to be. And I think if Nebraska ends nine and three, but it's nine wins that look like Northwestern, it's going to be one of those things going into 2020 where people aren't going to feel like they can walk in. I have not covered a Nebraska football game in a long time where I feel immediately confident in what I'm seeing. Like, I I don't walk in and immediately go, like, it's got to be a win. And I think fans kind of are at that point, too. There's a lot of fans who are – they want to feel like Nebraska used to where you'd go stomp all over a team. And maybe it was a hard-fought game, but you still were, like, showing them you belong. I think fans are so used to the squeaking by or things, like, just miraculously happening or – I think they want to know that Nebraska can go in and, like, dominate a game. And I think that's the challenge right now is if you're a fan and it's 9-3, and three, but the, the wind kind of came in a – not. You, you want something sustainable. And obviously Northwestern word. lost its quarterback, so it's not a good comparison. But who after the season Northwestern had last year where they continued to find ways to win, who picked them to finish towards the top of the conference this year? Nobody. Yeah, they lost their quarterback, like I said, so it's not perfect. But it just kind of goes to show, like, well, I think what you look like in the wins. Northwestern. That's also because Sustainability is a really good It had word. more to do with, well, you are right. Like, Pythagorean theorem would suggest that, that one-possession games, close wins, the, they're coin flip games that are going to flip the other way the next season. So, like, but Northwestern has been defying that yeah. for years and years and yeah. years under Pat Fitzgerald. So, like, it just kind of... This was a really good discussion, so I didn't want to just cut anybody off. But, uh, <laughs> um, let's just do game predictions. Oh, oh no. Oh, yeah. And we will, clo- we will close it out. Let's do game predictions. Oh. I haven't looked at that yet. I don't have to do that till. You don't have to give a score, but what happens Saturday? Jacob. Football. <coughs> Get out. <laughs> Football game happens. Aaron, what happens Saturday? 
I need to like give me a second. If you say football, I'll, I swear I'll, to God. <laughs> I'll I'll kick this off. Please edit that out. Um, <laughs> the, no, leave it in. I think Nebraska wins. I'm ready to give a score. I think the score that I put up there, I can't see it, was, is that 20 to 14? I'm the top. I'm up top. Oh, yeah. That's completely illegible. illegible. That would be what you suggested um, earlier on. 2014. What if yeah. it wasn't 40 to 17? What if it was just 20 to 14? I did that. That wasn't That's probably why the number was in your head. That's right. 20 to 14, uh, Nebraska. Uh, I think Nebraska's defense, which it is amazing, by the way, that we went this into how long is this? Right now? We're in minute 56. We are in minute 56 and hadn't raised a single concern about the defense. There are no concerns like about the defense. I would like to just throw that out there. Well, um, I, wouldn't no, say, shush. I wouldn't say no concerns, but I would no. say that it's amazing given how much grief the defense took over the offseason building up to this year. I would just like to throw that out there. And grief the defense has taken in recent weeks, too. Like, I well, legitimately they, saw somebody. What would show? I they give up 86 points in the two games before holding Northwestern the worst offense in the Big Ten to 10. Okay, but they played Ohio State. Everyone they, is going to give up 40 points to Ohio State. And they played Illinois and State. gave up 38. Look, I mean, Scott Frost talks about the defense, and he says we played a bad fourth quarter against Colorado and a bad game against Ohio State, but everybody plays bad games against Ohio State. So, really, you got one fourth quarter where the defense did not look good. And even in that game against Illinois, there were parts of that against Illinois that looked really good. They have like sixty yards passing. Yeah, yeah. third down. And like the, it's just, and that rushing number, and they had, that yeah. rushing number is also inflated because that beginning of the game where Corbin had those couple runs. Like there's some stuff in there when you dig into what happened in that game and tw- that make that a little. <laughs> so twenty one of their points came off of turnovers from Nebraska. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, I. I was on the the defense being good coming into the season. I think you and I, we both were a fan of the front and the potential on the back end. Um, And I think the defense has been solid overall. It's just, it's liable to these cracks at the wrong moments. And uh, Minnesota's got two receivers who are averaging 20 yards a catch. They've got some good running backs that can break off big plays. So Nebraska can be good for most of the game. But if they just slip up here and there, especially like, uh, Minnesota's going to hammer it at you, and if they hit you with a, a play action over the top to um, one of the guys running down the field, that could be that could change a game right there. That's all. Like I don't think Nebraska's defense is at the point where it will consistently shut teams down. So the offense has to be able to keep pace when the defense does have a couple breakdowns here and there. And obviously, we've seen basically every single third quarter breakdowns are going to happen at some point, and teams adjust and they figure things out. Overall, I, th- I have confidence in Nebraska's defense to keep them in most games, but the offense is going to have to go win it most weeks. You didn't give a like what's going to happen. You just kind of well because I don't I don't know how like what right. the weather's going to be. Who wins? Like, who wins? Just tell me who wins. I mean, I'll tell I, you. I'm who going I think. back and forth. That's I'll I, tell I, you. I have to pick Nebraska because I still said sticking with eight and four, and I don't think they have to that, win this one. To get I don't. I don't see them losing to Minnesota, but beating Iowa or Wisconsin. So I'm gonna pick Nebraska probably when I sit down and figure it. But it's just the kind of game. Like I don't know what it's gonna be with the weather. It's You're gonna hard pick to it, but you don't feel good about it. Yeah. So I, like, is this gonna be a Michigan State situation? Like I, it, I don't think it's gonna be. They don't have a kicker. I don't think, well, yeah, that's the problem. <laughs> they do have a kicker. He just got five of them. He will be there. Yeah, he will not. Um, I, I will go confidently. Minnesota's going to win, but Nebraska will cover. Is it still at seven and a half? Is mm-hmm. it dropped? Is it moved? Where's it at? It's at seven and a half. Okay. So I feel very, I very. As of recording. I feel as of recording. I feel if it sticks around there, 
We almost made it through the entire thing. Uh, almost. Thursday night machine. Oh, Min- Minnesota will win, but Nebraska will cover. I don't know. I ha- I was going to try to give you a score. I haven't narrowed in. To Jacob's point, the issue that I'm kind of running into is weather. Yeah. Um, that's going to change if I think it's going to be a higher scoring game or a lower scoring game. Yes. But regardless, I think it's going to be close. And because I think it's going to be close, I could see Nebraska somehow finding a way to win, but my prediction has to stick with Minnesota right now. It's- funny though that you're starting to like and I know and this isn't to pick on you specifically but I've heard this a little bit throughout the week is that it it could be close and Nebraska could find a way to win I also think that that's a sign of a little bit of progress but you know it's going to leave I've been saying that like all along like I think that that's because I I don't I think that in past years they would have found a way to lose like I would have absolutely went into the go I would have gone into this game thinking it'll be close and they'll find a way to lose because it's Nebraska and that's what they do I'll give you my score that was 20 to 14 Nebraska they'll find a way to win as, if the weather's bad, I think it's going to be something like that. If the weather's good enough for them to do what both sides want to do, I think it'll be in the upper 20s more. Dude, I have, for some reason, I think it's a low-scoring game either way. Like, I just don't, I don't see I, a lot I mean, I think if Nebraska's going to score, they're going to be scoring touchdowns. Yeah. Good, good weather? <laughs> yeah. It'll be, like... In the high 30s. Yeah, I could see yeah. it being like 35 to but like. I, I so I, I was asked earlier on Radiohead. You have said, already talked. Yes, <laughs> I said 28 to 31 is kind of if the weather allows them to play, that's where they have to get at to win. Wow. So. Um, I, I, but I think it's probably safer at this point to bet on snow than not, right? Yeah. Like, let's look at the weather. If that is if, if that is the case, if if there's snow or any kind of precipitation. Like I think that hurts Minnesota more than it hurts Nebraska because Nebraska it feels, feels better about yeah exactly Nebraska feels better about its running game than it does its passing game right now especially if there's a backup quarterback Minnesota's strength as an offense is an explosive passing game all right with three receivers that that hurt teams so if that's not something that they can that they can hang their hat on this game comes down to field position special teams is going to be really really important. Um, we made it through this entire podcast without talking about how awful the special teams is right now, which is also crazy. Yeah. Uh, because they didn't start the season awful. It's been just a snowball effect from there. Um, it all stems from the kicking. It does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. It's not something you can really do anything about. Well, I mean, their, their right. return game and, and punting is kind of I'm going to stop you all really quick because I want to close this app on my phone. Saturday in Minneapolis, occasional snow showers mixing with rain in the afternoon, chance of precipitation 50%, followed by variable clouds with snow showers in the evening. That is a chance of snow being 40%. So I'd say there's precipitation is likely what it looks like like frosted today, whether it's freezing rain or whether it's like pretty Christmas Flakes, no. <laughs> it's very different. So we don't know what that's going to look like. We won't know, unfortunately, until we're standing in TCF Bank Stadium, wishing that they still had a dome over that stadium. Not that that stadium had a dome, but you know what I mean. Um, wishing that they had built one when they did. They have. Dome I don't know why an outdoor stadium. Um, it's a whole different gripe that I have. I think Nebraska's a better football team. So I don't have a score yet, but I think Nebraska's a better football team. I just really like the defense. Cool. (laughs) Thanks, guys. Thank you. Godspeed. (laughs) Welcome to... Welcome to... Welcome to the family fight. Farewell from... (laughs) Okay, joining the podcast now, Megan Ryan. The other Megan Ryan, as her Twitter account states, from the Star Tribune... In Minneapolis, Minnesota. Megan, thank you for being on the podcast. How are you? 
I'm good. Thanks for having me. This game this weekend is either going to be, I think, a shootout or the weather is going to wreak havoc and it's going to be really low scoring. Which are you rooting for? Which do you think would be more entertaining? Um, you know, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't really uh, affect me either way. I would just like it to be decisive. Um, it was really nice last weekend when the Gophers actually won by a significant amount of points because I actually had my story written and my deadline was easy. And it wasn't like these one possession games up until the very end like it had been. So, um, you know, as long as, you know, it, hope it's not close either way (laughs) but that's just for deadline purposes so i'm sure the high scoring one would be more fun for people so when i first started doing this i was like oh the 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 games that are close right up until the the end of the the game clock are like those are going to be the best games to cover those are going to be fun they're going to be nail biters they're going to be exciting and then i get into this and i'm like no i want the game to be over by halftime so that i can have the story written so um i understand yeah it's exactly like that um, okay, so the first question that I have for you is kind of the question that's been on the minds of everybody, at least here in Lincoln, and, and I'm sure people around the country too. Um, you mentioned Minnesota being in close games throughout the first four weeks of their season. It was a seven-point win in the opener against South Dakota State, three-point wins against Fresno State and Georgia Southern, um, a seven-point win that, that got a little uncomfortable there at the end against Purdue, um, however many weekends ago that was now. how Minnesota's 5-0. and a lot of people thought that this was going to be a, a, a good team heading into the season, but I don't know how many people thought that um, 5-0 and start was, I guess, realistic. I mean, given the schedule, it was probably out there. But how real is this 5-0? and um, You know, I think it is something that maybe it was possible, but maybe not expected. Um, you know, I think Fresno State could have been a real trap game and it was hard for them, but they managed to get the win there, which I think was really important. Um, and then, you know, Purdue could have been a tough game too going there, but the fact that they lost um, Sindelar and Rondell Moore in that game uh, kind of was a problem. So in that way, I guess like it's maybe you could say it's lucky or whatever that they're 5-0, and but I think it was completely a feasible idea that they'd be that. Um, I mean, I think I personally ahead of the season had them around an eight and four team, and I'm not sure that I expected them to get there with like possibly an eight and zero start to the season, right? Because if you look at their five and zero now, their next couple games I feel like are very winnable for them um, because it's Nebraska here, and then they have to go to Rutgers, but it's Rutgers, and then they play Maryland at home. So all of those seem pretty winnable to me, and then I think that would be kind of crazy. I don't think. Many of us would have expected they go eight and zero to start, but it's it is very possible. Yeah, if they're eight zero, they could it, that could be like they could be around like fifteenth in the rankings by the time they yeah. play Penn State. Like that'd be a fun game, I think. I know the the coin flip games, the games where they're super close. Um, a lot of times, those things flip year to year. It's not very you know, like unless you're Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald. Like if you win a bunch of one possession games one year, you're going to lose a couple more one possession games next year. They're they're a lot more fifty fifty. When you look at close games, and we've had this debate a ton, um, pretty much all season in, in Lincoln. Like when you look at close games against teams like South Dakota State, teams like Georgia Southern, where it's close, um, it's uncomfortable, it's closer than you would want it to be, but the team finds a way to win. So like what Nebraska did with Illinois uh, a couple weeks ago, it's it's uncomfortable, but Nebraska found a way to win. Minnesota's game against Georgia Southern was probably uncomfortable, but they found a way to win. Do you put stock in that aspect of it, of just saying, okay, well, this team, this is a young team. They just found ways 
to win football games as opposed to, you know, making mistakes or execution errors that cost you football games? Do you put stock in that? Um, to a certain extent, yeah. I mean, P.J. Fleck, the Gophers coach, likes to say that a lot with this team, you know, they find a way to win. And specifically Tanner Morgan, the quarterback, he's a, he's a winner. He's kind of like a clutch guy. And in some ways, yeah, I think that is a valid argument, right? Because there are players that can have all the skill and all the, you know, height and weight and talent or whatever, but they don't have, like, they, they crumble under pressure. They don't have that, I guess, oomph to get them to the finish line, right? Um, and if you do have that quality, that does it's hard to measure, and maybe it doesn't show up all the time, right? But, like, if you have that, I think that is a tangible thing that you're going to want in your team. And so the Gophers have proven that they have that. Sure, could they have made it easier on themselves? Absolutely. Like, I think maybe the get them having close wins wasn't what was concerning. It was the way they were getting to the close wins. Like, for example, at Purdue, like, they were leading 28 to 10 at halftime, and then by the end of the game, they led them within one touchdown. Um, and it was because their defense was, like, not tackling. Like, weren't wrapping up. Um, and every game, it's been something like that. There's been a fatal flaw. Like, this last game against Illinois, even though they won by a lot, it was offensive turnovers. They had a pick six and a fumble return for a touchdown. Um, and they've had weird special teams things. So I think it's the fact that they've had these little gaffes in pretty much every area of the team that at some point could have cost them, and they've been able to win despite that. That's good that you can overcome those mistakes, but, like, if you keep seeing those crop up every week, especially if it's, like, you know, you have one fire, you put it out, and then another one pops up. It's like you never know what the next problem is going to be. And if you can never put together a full game, um, then that's going to hurt you at the end, especially when you're playing teams like Penn State, Wisconsin, Iowa, which they've all got coming up in November. Like, those teams are not going to let you slip by with those kinds of mistakes. So I think you're starting to see against Illinois was probably the most complete they've looked, even though they did have those offensive turnovers. So I think it's you know, getting into this Nebraska game, it's, if you keep seeing those same mistakes, I think that's when the worry sets in. In talking to the players this week and hearing um, the way that they've talked about this game, do you get the sense that this is a marquee game to them, or is this um, like a game that, yeah, they should win, and and we're waiting for Wisconsin's and, and Penn State? Um, you know, I don't know. They, they're they're pretty uh, into the coach speak and the cliches when it comes to that stuff. Like, they're pretty good about if you ask them about specific plays or, you know, whatever, they will be pretty verbose about it. But if you ask them, like, what's the meaning of this game? Like, they're just going to tell you it's it's just another game. We're 0-0 zero zero this week. Like, we just want to win them all one game at a time. So who's to say if they're taking it more seriously? Obviously, like, Nebraska travels really well. Um and they know that's a team that's traditionally been a very good team. And so I'm sure that there is some will to win there, but you know, Nebraska's got its issues too, right? They might be without Adrian Martinez and maybe JD Spielman. And so those are going to be, you know, if those guys aren't there, it's, you're, it's almost like you're not really facing the real Nebraska, which I guess is a good break for the Gophers. Um, but I'm not sure if they're really thinking it's like a marquee game. I feel like probably they're more looking forward to those Penn States. I was, um, especially that Wisconsin game to end the season. I think that's going to be the big one. Fair. Um, what have been your, you, you mentioned Tanner Morgan. What have, what's been your thought on, on the way that he's, or your thoughts on the way that he's, he's started this season. His, his, he's at 11.7 yards per attempt. That's, that's leading the conference. He's got 13 touchdowns. He's only got three picks. Um, I think he's third in 10 plus yard completions. And then only, um, Penn State Sean Clifford has more of the 30 and the 40 yarders like what ha- have you been surprised by this level of production from Tanner Morgan 
Maybe a little. Uh, you know, it's kind of hard because I, I think he was in that quarterback battle with Zach Anikstead. He lost it last year and then ended up playing the end of, at the end of last year when uh, Zach got hurt. But then they were back in the quarterback battle again, and I think kind of all of us assumed that it was going to be eventually Zach winning out again since he won it the first time. Um, and then when he got injured again, it kind of became Tanner's team, right? So I always knew he was a decent quarterback. Um, you know, the thing that everyone talks about is his size. He's, he's listed at 6'2", but I don't think he's much more than six feet. Um, but he, you know, he's, he's not exactly the biggest guy, especially against Minnesota's offensive line. They've got like a 6'9", 400-pound right tackle. So next to Tanner Morgan, like he looks like a monster. <laughs> Tanner looks pretty tiny. But, you know, he had those kinds of maybe disadvantages. He doesn't have as big of an arm as Annex that does. Uh, but what he does have and what we've seen is he has that quote-unquote winner mentality. Like, he does have this kind of innate way of putting together drives when the team really needs it and getting that final score or throwing that touchdown pass, if you know, when the needed to force overtime. Um, so he has a way of engineering those things. Um, has he been perfect? No. Uh, you know, for example, last week, the, the pick six and the fumble that were returned for scores, those are both tanners. And so those are 14 points that came directly from him. Uh, but he realizes that. And I think he knows, like, especially on the interceptions that he has thrown, um, they've kind of been the same thing where he just thinks he can thread the needle and he thinks he can just squeeze the ball through this window. And it's just, it, uh, he needs to not do that. He needs to wait um, for a better opportunity, but he, he kind of has made that mistake a couple times now, but I mean, he had that really awesome game at Purdue um, where he only missed one of his 22 passes and um, that the passing game, that, that game was really awesome. So he's definitely shown like the, the upper extent of his abilities like he can be that good and I think that was something that we hadn't really all seen before is like a standout performance like that so now that you see that he's capable of that it's just doing that on a more consistent basis but he's been a very good quarterback like yeah he's got some things he needs to clean up but I think he's been pretty pretty good about it so far has he had the uh the help from the offensive line uh yes and no the offensive line has been a little uh patchy I guess you could say they they started off the season not doing too great and like the running game for the first I think four games was averaging like 2.6 yards per carry which was one of the worst in, in the nation and a lot of that had to do with you know the offensive line creating holes and not really blocking for them um they started a new thing where they've been rotating the guards so every other series pretty much they changed the guards on each side and then they shift the center over and they put a new guy in at center and that's helped a little bit. Um, they've been a little bit tougher, especially this last game at Illinois was when the run game really kind of took hold and you saw Shannon Brooks and Ronnie Smith each rush for more than a hundred yards. So they've looked better. I think the hard thing is, is like, you know, speaking of the, the right tackle, who's big Daniel Falele, he's, he's got the size obviously. And he's, because he's going to be a very good lineman, but it just is hard because he only started playing football like three years ago or something because um, he was kind of discovered in Australia and <laughs> like moved here to play football. So he doesn't quite have like the technical ability and skill sets honed over years and years. Um, and so those are things you're only going to get by playing, but you kind of have to like deal with the, the rough patches now for the payoff later, I guess. I don't know if I've ever heard of an offensive line rotation like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. It is kind of weird. Like we, 
sort of place in touch because we could tell that some personnel changes were coming on that line. And so we were trying to say, like, who are they going to sit? And, like, I put my bet on someone someone else, put their bet on someone else. And none of us picked the cards. So, <laughs> and those are the ones who are rotating in and out. So it was really interesting. Interesting. Um, the guys that, that Tanner's throwing the ball to are, are pretty good, and they've been the talk of um, the town so a, a little bit this week here in Lincoln, Minnesota's wideouts. they got two guys averaging 20-plus um, yards per catch. They've got one of the most explosive passing games, passing attacks in, I think, FBA. I think they're around like 27% explosive play rate in, in the pass. Uh, if the weather is bad, if it's snowy, if there's precipitation, if that takes away um, both teams' ability to sort of kind of air it out, how big a hit is that to the Gophers? Um, you know, before last week, I would have said I would have said it was a big hit, but um, the thing was is that it actually happened last week when Illinois came here. Um, it was it wasn't snowy, but it was like kind of misty, a little rainy. Um, so it was kind of slippery. The ball was kind of wet and you saw the passing game stuff where they had like six drops, I think. And, um, you know, Tanner Morgan had a few missed throws. Uh, and so that was obviously the passing game that dominated up until then and really carried the team because the run was, was kind of stagnant. But in this game, the passing game faltered, but you finally saw the run break out. And so you had Rodney Smith with 211 yards and Shannon Brooks with 111 yards, um, all scoring touchdowns. So, in that way, I guess I wouldn't be as worried about it only because the rush seems to now have clicked um, with those two back healthy. And then I believe Muhammad Ibrahim, who was their running back last year when both those guys were injured, he's been out injured for the past three games and he hypothetically should be returning this game too. So if they have those three guys back, um, then I think the run game can pick it up. But I would say that because just recently they went through this kind of weather issues and dropping the ball because it was wet. Um, you know, PJ Fleck has talked about all the things he's been doing to prepare them for this potentially snowy, chilly game. And so he's been having the receivers and the quarterbacks dip their hands in ice buckets before every series and practice. And he's been, um, you know, practicing with wet footballs and frozen footballs and uh, pumping the air conditioning and in the indoor facility and stuff. So he's trying to do as much as he can to kind of get them acclimated in hopes that they won't have the same problems they did last week. Okay, so that sounds like it's more reactionary to what happened than as opposed to, like, precautionary for this weekend. Yeah, I think it's probably, like, a mixture, you know? Like, maybe if the passing game hadn't struggled so much last weekend, he wouldn't have you know, been as extreme, but I don't know. Who's to say? Okay, interesting. Uh, people were making fun of that a little bit here um which is I know. it's I, it's so strange everybody likes to hate on pj fleck and i'm one of the i think I, I feel like i'm one of the few people in this state that actually enjoys pj fleck's thing like he's got a brand let him let him do his thing if he wants to be a little extra sometimes let him do his thing it's hard to prepare for snow and there's no snow on the ground but if you want to if you want to go extra then go extra um if well it kills me like about that specifically is all these people have been like, Oh, they're from Minnesota. Shouldn't they know how to deal with the cold? And I'm like, not the whole team. Like, oh my God, <laughs> right. like the running backs are from Georgia. Um, you know, like there's people there that are like not used to it or whatever. And it's like, you might as well, you got freshmen on the team that probably maybe have never played in snow. Like maybe this is the time to kind of show them what it's like. So I don't know. I always think it's really funny that people get so worked up about it. Right. Scott Frost made a comment Thursday, uh, that this, that, that 32 degree weather, it is beautiful weather for football as long as there's no precipitation. So let's let's say there's no snow, there's no rain. It's just cold. It's just really cold. Does this game to you when you look at 
Minnesota's offense going against Nebraska's defense, it, it seems like it would be a little bit of strength on strength with, with that passing game going against this Nebraska secondary. Do you feel like there are places where Minnesota's offense can take advantage of Nebraska's defense and, and, and put a good deal of points on the board, weather permitting? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Gophers' offense has always been, even ahead of the season, was the strong suit because you knew that the receivers were really good with Tyler Johnson and Rashad Bateman. And then you've seen other receivers also step up, like Chris Hotman Bell has had some really good games, and even Demetrius Douglas has made some pretty good catches. Um, you knew the running backs were really good because, you know, especially now, Robbie Smith is back, Shane Brooks is back, Mohamed Ibrahim should be healthy. Um, and then you've seen some other running backs even get in the rotation too. Uh, the tight ends even looked better. Like they were blocking last game better than they ever have. Um, and then they even, one of them got in the end zone for a touchdown and that doesn't happen very often with Minnesota's tight ends. So, um, you know, we, it, it was really obvious that the offense was going to be the strong suit. The defense was kind of the questionable thing because that was their Achilles heel all last season and they had to change defensive coordinators and whatnot. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, if the Gophers can put together, it would be really cool because they haven't done it yet this season. It would be good to see them put together the passing game along with the run game. And maybe this isn't the game for it with, you know, whatever, whatever the weather is going to be like, but that's the kind of thing. It was the, it was the passing game carrying the team for the first four games. Then the rush really broke out and carried the team. And to see that be a little more balanced, I think that can really hurt uh, opponents if you just don't know where it's going every, uh, every snap. So that would be kind of interesting. You mentioned uh, Ibrahim coming back from injury. Any any other injuries to, to prominent Gophers that Nebraska fans should know about? Um, I think Ibrahim was the only notable difference. Um, Daniel Falele, who's that right tackle, he left the game a little early, but um, all accuser are that he's going to be back. So um, I don't think they should be really missing anyone. Okay. Uh, what about keys to the game? If I asked you for, for three keys to Saturday's game, um, what would what would be your three? Oh gosh. Um, three keys. Uh, well, if you want to go like big picture, I think the weather, I know we've just talked a lot about it, but like, that's going to be a big impact if it is snowy, if it is wet or whatever. Like I think how each team deals with that is going to be something. Um, definitely if the Gophers can put together, um, a little bit more of a complete performance on the offense, if they can have their passing game, back up to snuff of where it was the first four games. And if they can get the running backs, it wasn't just kind of a one hit wonder game. If they can follow that up with good performances, I think that's going to be huge. Um, and then, you know, defense wise for, for the Gophers, like obviously if, if Rondale, oh, Rondale Moore, he's on Purdue, if T.D. Spielman and uh, Adrian Martinez aren't, uh, you know, playing, I think that makes a difference, but the defense is coming off its best game too. Like they only, allowed a field goal and technically the field goal wasn't even their fault um, against Illinois. That was kind of a PJ Fleck bad timeout decision to try to ice the kicker in the first half. Um, so they're coming up for performance, but they were great. Um, and they all looked, they really stopped Illinois run, which was important. And then their quarterbacks, like in the few passing instances, they really like cleaned up out there when they had to. And they were kind of, even when Minnesota was putting everything against the run. So if you can see the defense also follow up that performance and, and be strong again, I think that's going to be a key. Okay. What's your prediction? Oh God. I don't know. Honestly, like I'm, I'm actually in the process of writing my, my little preview for the game where I have to put a prediction in and I haven't even like thought about it. <laughs> I think the Gophers are going to win. I, I couldn't give you a scoreline right now because I have to look a little more closely into it, but I would put it to the Gophers. Okay. Megan, where can people find you, find your work? 
Spotify. You can read my stuff in the Minneapolis Star Tribune, startribune.com. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at the other Meg Ryan. Sounds good. All right. Thanks for giving us some time. I, I know you got work to do, so I uh, don't want to take up any more of your time than I need to. So thanks for joining the pod and talking. No problem. Thanks for having me. That's it for this week. As always, make sure you find, follow, star rate, review, whatever, uh, wherever you listen to the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate that. And keep it with HailVarsity.com all throughout the weekend. We will have coverage on the Minnesota game. Jacob Boudreau will have coverage on volleyball. And we will be back next week. Thanks, guys.